0: Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me today. It's great to be here. Um, I've left my wife and my three young children back in Rains Park at Dundonald's, but um, they send their love. My wife was sure to make sure I say that to you. And um, we're looking at this big question, where is history headed today? And it may be, I wouldn't blame you, if that is a question that is haunting you in some way, shape, or form at the moment. Um, as we look around at the world, and it all just seems a bit bleak. And the underlying narrative at the moment is one, of, is one of fear, right? It's fear over where history's going. And it's this kind of brewing storm of factors that are colliding together. So you've got war in Europe. You've got the polarization of the political left and right. You've got the cost of living just spiraling higher and higher. Um, you've got a world still reeling from the effects of COVID-19. Food crisis in West Africa, as we were just praying about a moment ago. And, I mean, you think of all that, and then you think, well, hang on, what about the environment? I mean, so much has happened in the last year that people have forgotten who Greta Thunberg even is. Um, and yet the issue of climate change still hangs over our present like a dark cloud. I was sitting at my desk recently, and I hit play on my Spotify release radar playlist, which is the kind of new songs that my Spotify algorithm think I'll like. And the first song to play was this, okay, I kid you not, by a band called Nash. I think it was written during the first lockdown, and the song goes like this, I'm not going to sing it. Um, it, it goes, yeah, it's scary to go outside, it's scary to take a drive, it's scary alone at night, it's scary inside my mind, it's scary to go to school, it's scary to read the news, it's scary to think of you and know you're scared too, man, I'd hate to be a child now, they'll be scared for a while now, now that's pretty bleak, Um I don't suggest going and ever listen to it, but it, it, it captures the feeling of lots of people, and maybe even you here this morning, that no matter how much bravado we wear on the surface, underneath we can't help but admit that there is this unsettling sense of where's all this going to end up? Because we want a better future, don't we? We want a future where there is no systemic racism, where there is no more climate crisis, where there is no threat of war, where there are no more worries that the money's going to run out where there is no more relational breakdown or hurt, where there is no more crying at the pain of it all, where there is no more, fear of death even. And so how do we deal with that longing? If that longing that is intrinsic to our hearts, how do we deal with that longing? Now, some are confident that we're going to get to this utopia through our own grit and determination. Um, You know, that for humanity, really, the sky's the limit, and it's just one upward curve to greatness. Uh, That's Yuval Noah Harari's prophetic assessment in his best-selling book, Homo Deus. This was a bestseller in Waterstones a couple of years ago. And he writes near the beginning of the book. He says, success breeds ambition, and our recent achievements are now pushing humankind to set itself even more daring goals. Having secured unprecedented levels of prosperity, health, and harmony, and given our past record and our current values, humanity's next targets are likely to be immortality, happiness, and division. And he goes on and says, having raised humanity above the beastly level of survival struggles, we will now aim to upgrade humans into gods and turn homo sapiens into homo deus. Everyone bought this book. See his suggestion? That mankind is just on this kind of upward trajectory toward godlike status. And a whole lot of people buy it because it certainly sounds hopeful. But others aren't quite so sure history, it's not at all apparent that we're on our way to immortality and divinity. And actually, as you read a paragraph like that now, given all that's going on, it just seems a bit naive. You know, we're still making the same foolish mistakes we were thousands of years ago. Up until now, it's been a settled century, certainly in the West in many respects. But the threat of war and of political unrest and of financial disaster and of disease, it still hangs pregnant in the air and the clouds have begun to break because no matter our technological advancements it would seem that we can't escape those things and that leads others to suggest that the kind of progress that Harari prophesies about is a myth that history is just destined to repeat itself there's an atheist um, social commentator philosopher called John Gray who writes that faith in progress is a superstition Economist John Galbraith describes the idea of humanity in a constant state of progress as an innocent fraud, by which he means it's a lie, which with repetition just becomes the common wisdom of the day. You know, you say it often enough, everyone starts believing it. Of course we're progressing, get on the right side of history. But I mean, what does that even mean when we don't know where history's headed? Because if we don't know where we're going, then we're all in a bind. And it would be easy, really easy, to look out at the world around us as it is and at our own lives, personally, perhaps, and feel hopeless. Like we're back to square one, like we're back to joblessness, back to counting every penny, back to war on our continent, back to lockdown. I mean, what happens if there's a mutation of the virus that the vaccine doesn't work on? Then what do we do? And so in those moments, maybe we catch ourselves imagining a better world. And we whisper with John Lennon, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And we imagine something better. We, we imagine just a world better than this. And we long for history to be headed somewhere other than it seems to be. And so just for a moment, imagine that. Imagine a world with no pandemics. Imagine a world not just with no war, but with no threat of war with no injustices, with no relational breakdown, with no poverty, with no sadness. Just imagine that. Trouble is, we are absolutely stuck for any idea of how to get there. Because this hopeful vision of the future is just a pipe dream, isn't it? Let me show you where the Bible tells us that history is headed. Um, I don't know what your background is, I don't know whether you're a skeptic who's explored the Christian faith before, maybe maybe you've never, ever picked up a Bible to read before in your life, and this is all brand new to you. Just for the next few moments, whatever your presuppositions are, I just want you to consider if this might be true. Because if it is, and that's a big if, but if it is, then it changes everything. Now the Bible's a really big book, I'm going to read some sentences right from the very end of it. They're written by a guy called John. He was a follower of Jesus. Um, And he wrote one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, But the book we're looking at here, this, you may have heard of it, it's called Revelation. It's right at the end. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, you might want to turn to page 1249 in the church Bibles. 1249. And we're just going to look at chapter 21, which is right at the end. And we're going to start at line three. And just as you're turning there, in this John receives this vision from God, a revelation of what is coming in the future. And I'm just going to read out some of this vision, because this, according to John, according to God's word, the Bible, this is where history is headed. Let me show it to you, and then I'll explain how it's possible. Okay, Revelation 21, line three. John writes this, he says, and I heard a loud voice from from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Sorry, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their gods. Okay, so this, the Bible says, is where history has been headed right from the very beginning. God living with his people in paradise forever. This is a glimpse of the end of the story. Let's just look at it in a bit more detail. That little word dwelling place, God's dwelling place, it means permanent togetherness. This isn't a temporary residence. This is an enduring, lasting forever, nothing stopping it relationship between God and his people living together forever. And the word people there, it's rich and it's layered. It means um, people from every tribe and nation and race worshiping God and enjoying him forever. This isn't a kind of monochrome cultural vision of the future. This is the most racially, culturally diverse people you've ever seen living together in perfect peace with God. So this, okay, according to the Bible, is where history is headed. That's the end point. And just look at what it's going to be like. Next line, line four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Okay, this is paradise. Paradise. That the Bible looks ahead to. It's described elsewhere as a new creation. It's a it's a real physical earthly place. It is not it is not floating spirits sitting on a cloud playing a harp. It is skin and bone, it's living in a renewed world where everything is good, where all sadness and badness is gone forever. And the promise here is that God's people will live in a place where they have new bodies that will be designed to be free from pain and hurt. Everything that hurts physically and emotionally and mentally will be gone. The old order, John writes, will have passed away. It's going to be a distant memory. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, isn't that what I long for? A place where evil doesn't have the final words? A place where pain and suffering doesn't hold the winning hands? There's another writer in the Bible called Isaiah who looks forward to this day as well. And he writes of how those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion, which is paradise, with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. And then I love this line, gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Just imagine being overtaken by joy. All sorrow, all sadness, just fleeing away. That's where history is headed for God's people. At the end of the Narnia series, in the book The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis closes with these words, which capture something of the hope for the Christian, It lands with this. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that is the hope that is described here at the end of the Bible, that history is headed toward the day where chapter one of the great story is going to begin. God's people living in with God in paradise forever and ever, and it's just getting better and better and better and better and better day after day after day after day. Okay, so that's where the Bible says that history is going. And, I mean, whatever your background as you come to this, you can't help but admit that that sounds brilliant. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But we've got to know more because otherwise you might be inclined to just sit there and think, well, this is just another fairy tale. And perhaps this has no bearing upon you whatsoever on this Sunday morning. And this is how we've got to see and understand where this fits into the entire Bible story. Because in order to know where history is headed, we've got to look back and understand where we've come from. Now, don't worry, we're not going to go through the entire sweep of human history. um, But let me just give you a whistle-stop tour, okay? The Bible begins right at the start by telling us that humanity... And indeed, the entire universe was created by God. Don't worry about the exact process. The fact is that God made us by his words, by speaking, and he made humanity to live with him. Our design purpose, you see it right at the beginning of the Bible, was to live with God in the perfect world that he had created, in perfect relationship with one another. That was how things looked right at the very beginning. But it doesn't take long before things go wrong. And we read in the Bible that humanity turned its back on God, we rejected Him, and we set ourselves up on the throne instead. And that is a problem that we have all had ever since the very beginning. We've rejected God's right and good rule over us, and we've put ourselves on the throne. And that is what the Bible calls sin. You might have heard that word. And the consequence of sin was that we couldn't be with God anymore. We, were, we are cut off from Him. And because of sin, everything is ruined. Our relationship with God is broken. We are cut off from the one who made us. Our relationship with the world is broken. It suddenly becomes a very hard place to live and work in. Our relationship with one another is broken. Since we live for self, relationships are often hard and they're messy and they're distorted. And so you see, this is the ultimate problem we face. And if we're honest, we do feel this, don't we? We feel the brokenness of it all whether in our own lives or as we look out on the world around us. It's what leads author Rebecca Manley Pippert to write how because of sin, we are now living on a planet in a profound state of dysfunction. All the brokenness on our planet, both without and within, is ultimately the consequence of not allowing God to be God. And that explains the mess we're in today. The ultimate reason of our dysfunction in our lives and in the world around us is because we have rejected the very one who made it. And as such, that means that John Galbraith is right when he says that belief in infinite human progress is an innocent fraud. Because in and of ourselves, we're unable to change anything because of the sin problem that scars us at our deepest level. And if things remain like that, then actually history is headed toward a very bad place indeed. Because our sin our rejection of God, it deserves his judgment. It has eternal consequences. And left to our own devices, the Bible is really clear that actually history is only headed in one direction. Eternal separation from God forever in a place the Bible describes as hell. But here is the phenomenal news of the Christian faith. That though we cannot do anything to fix this sin problem in and of ourselves, God can. And in fact, the whole story of the Bible is how God is working in history to make things right again, to rescue a people for himself, for heaven, forever. And it all comes to a crescendo with what you considered last weekend with the coming of Jesus, because Jesus turns up to fix what was broken, ultimately by restoring that broken relationship between humanity and God. And he did that by dying on a wooden cross. It's what we remembered last Good Friday. And at the cross, a simple swap took place. Jesus took on himself all of the punishment that simple people like you and I deserve for walking away from God so that we could be free to return to God and know life. And then get this, Jesus didn't stay dead. thought about it last Sunday. The Bible testifies to the fact that he rose again And it is an outrageous claim, but it's what it all hangs on. Because if it's true, if Jesus really did rise again, it means I can be sure of his promise of resurrected bodies in the new creation, paradise in God's presence forever, like we were thinking about earlier. I can be sure that that's not pie-in-the-sky fairy tale stuff, but genuine, concrete truth, because Jesus is living that life right now. I've only got to look to him to know exactly where history is headed for all who trust him. And so for the follower of Jesus, though we live in a world that is still very much broken, as we look out on a world that is full of disease and death and disaster, we are not without hope. Because we look back and we know that Jesus came and he died to deal with our biggest problem, and he rose to life again, that we might be sure of life with God forever in paradise. And so we come back to the promise here right at the very end of the Bible that what was lost at the very beginning, what God promised to restore, what was made possible through Jesus coming to earth and dying in our place will one day be realized, restored, intimate relationship with the one who made us with him in paradise. The remaking of this broken world. Now just look at line five. Line 5, how does John wrap this up? He says, And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Can you see the one who is seated on the throne, the Lord Jesus, that's who's being described here, says, I am making everything new. That means the old gone, the new arrived. And he says that these words are trustworthy and they are true. You see, this is not not a half-baked promise. This is not kind of crossing your fingers and hoping for the best, for what the future might be. This isn't a kind of bit of a stab in the dark at what might happen in the days to come. No, these are the words of the one who made everything and who rose from the dead and who is alive now in heaven, meaning he has absolute authority to say this. And meaning we can trust him when he says it. His credentials are infinitely superior to that of Yuval Noah Harari or whoever. And so really, this claim this promise all hangs on whether or not you believe Jesus really is who he says he is is he the son of God who came to die to free us from that curse of sin and who rose again to defeat death and is now ruling in heaven I mean that might sound fantastical if you've never thought about Christian things before but if that is true and there are a whole group of people in this room who believe it it changes everything And it changes everything for everyone who believes. This is the wonderful news of the Christian faith. This this promise of paradise in God's presence forever is for all who believe. It doesn't matter what your past has looked like. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity or your class or your literacy level or your bank balance is. Whoever you are, you can come to this Jesus for forgiveness even today and know the Rock-solid assurance of having a place in God's paradise forever and ever. That's a free gift for you right today. You see, for the one who trusts in Jesus, the question of where history is headed, it doesn't provoke fear and anxiety. It provokes hope and anticipation because we know the end of the story. As Eliot Clark writes, in a world of seemingly unending shame, opposition, struggle, weakness, affliction, and persecution, the certainty of future glory is the unstoppable heartbeat of our enduring hope. And so for all the questions you might have about where the future's going, whether it's COVID or war or economic collapse or whatever it is, as we look around, and maybe we are tempted to be overwhelmed by the waves that just buffet us on every side. This is the hope of the Christian. This is where history is headed. God's people living with him in paradise forever. And so this is my challenge to you today, if I may. Will you get on the right side of history? I mean, that is a question that is pretty in vogue today, isn't it? Everyone's saying it. But that question only makes sense if you know where history is headed. And the passage that we've looked at in the Bible gives us a glimpse of that. And if this, right here in Revelation 21, if this is true, then this is the side of history that you want to be on. Trusting in Jesus for salvation and looking forward to the day when you're going to be with God in paradise forever. Now just as we finish, if you're finding all this a bit too much of a pipe dream, um, that's okay. Earlier on, I I quoted from the last book of the Narnia series. Let me just finish with a quote from the first. All right, this is C.S. Lewis in The Magician's Nephew and maybe if you're honest this is kind of where you're at right now as you, as you think about everything we've heard this morning he writes this, you know how it feels if you begin hoping for something that you want desperately badly, you almost fight against the hope because it's too good to be true, you've been disappointed so often before, that was how Diggory felt, It's just one of the characters in the book but it was no good trying to throttle this hope, it might really, really it just might be true. And if that's you, if the hope of paradise with God is just kind of gnawing away at the back of your mind and you can't shake the feeling that maybe it's true, then can I encourage you to explore it further? Because as Manly Pippert writes, how can you intelligently reject something you've never explored? Do not just file this away in a kind of mental compartment labeled things to think about later in life and just go back to your Sunday as normal. Now let me encourage you to start a conversation with a Christian friend. Ask them their story, as Andy asked me earlier. Ask them their story of knowing Jesus. Come back to church on a Sunday. Attend Hope Explored. We're going to find out about that in a moment. Don't just leave this and park it somewhere else. Because if this is true, everything's changed. As we finish, I'm going to say a prayer. Maybe you might like to pray it along with me in the quiet of your hearts, and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you don't leave us guessing about where the future might be going, but that you've given us your words and your promises. And we can trust them because we have seen your Son, the Lord Jesus, come to die for our sin and rise from the dead as we considered last weekend. And so we can know with absolute confidence that Jesus is living that risen life right now. And that gives us hope and certainty of what's to come for all who trust in him. And so we pray Father, for all of us as we perhaps face anxieties of various kinds, whether that's with struggles in our own lives or as we look out on a troubled world, hold tightly to these truths and that perhaps even for the first time we would begin to explore them and know that in Jesus there is genuine hope for the future as we consider where history is headed. And we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.